Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 238 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. <sighs> Here we are again, folks. My name is Brian Salvatore, and we are in the midst of another Mets losing streak. It's not been fun for the last few weeks, but we are hopefully going to bring a little bit of joy into your life. Maybe a little bit of uh, laughter, maybe a little bit of uh, memories of a time better spent as a Mets fan. I don't know, we'll see. But until then, until those happy uh, recaps are back in our memories, we still have the podcast. And first up, we have Chris McShane and myself talking about the last couple of weeks in Metsdom, as well as answering your emails. So enjoy. So Chris, I was at a five-year-old's birthday party this weekend, and <laughs> uh, it uh, it involved being at a karate studio. My uh, my five-year-old daughter, who was a guest at the party, broke a board at the at the party. It was it was pretty great. Nice. But, but when I saw my friend Mike, the first thing he said to me is, so Brian, why does God hate the Mets? 
Oh, so he saw the cover of the uh, post. <laughs> no, this is before then. Actually. Oh, 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 okay. And uh, he, he was, and I, I really sat and I thought about it. And while I don't truly believe that the Mets are cursed or anything like that, can you think of a time in the last, let's go, ten years, when more bad things happened to one team in such a short period of time? Hmm. So this is one of those things where maybe that's happened, and it's hard to know without really following one team as closely. Right. Like maybe there's some West Coast team. I feel like the Mariners have probably had some stretch that was just awful in some regard, right? I feel like they're a team that's always supposed to be good, but... But never are. Yeah. And they had that... Didn't they have that like 100 plus lost season uh, I, I mean i'm kind of reaching here i, I just i don't know well, see, like the inclination me, of a mets fan is to say no right. but I don't, I don't know to me it's it's not just about the team being bad it's about bad things happening to the team like i i think that if you take it all in right since the last time since the last time we have spoken on the show harvey's been suspended Everybody's gotten hurt, it seems. Uh, some people have gotten hurt twice since we've spoken, like his Dribble Cabrera. Uh, it just seems like everything that could possibly have been going wrong so far has been going wrong. And yet, aside from being swept this weekend, the Mets had won five straight series. They had uh, more or less held their own against... Uh, teams outside of the NL East and they still looked to be somewhat in contention but as we know they got swept this weekend they uh they lost last night in a in a meltdowny fashion as has been their want lately and it just feels like everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for the team i i'm i'm not ready to throw in the towel just yet just about every day a different friend of mine asks uh, so is the met season over and I, I say, you know, no, not yet. It's still early, and I give all my reasons why and all that. But I think that we are rapidly approaching the point where if the season is not in jeopardy, there has to start to be conversations about at what point we will decide the season is in jeopardy. Uh, again, I, I'm not saying we're ready for that yet. I think plenty of teams that will make the playoffs this year are looking pretty bad right now. But we're, we're getting to the point where, where it's getting a little bit worrisome. And the way I know that is that the eternal optimist Mets fan of my life, my co-host Chris McShane, told me yesterday that if the Mets don't win two of three from the Diamondbacks, he's going to start worrying. <laughs> so that's where we are, folks. Chris well, I'm is, just, Chris I'm, is I'm ready to sticking, worry. I'm sticking to uh, the, the thing I said, which was three weeks ago now. Um, you know, not... Literally three weeks as we record, but close to it. Uh, three weeks ago in on the episode calendar, and it was essentially if they were farther below five hundred than they were, <clears throat> if they if they were farther below five hundred today than they were at the time that we discussed that, then I would be worried, and that would that's the context. You know we. If they have taken two out of three from Arizona at this point in time, as you're hearing this, then crisis averted. <laughs> I, 
I guess. And if they haven't, then they are worse off than they were at that point, which was what there were four games under when they we've been four game games under a few times, but they'd gotten to four games under after they were swept by the nationals. And then uh, it was right after the 23 run debacle. Well, yeah, they got back to that, but they had gotten closer. Uh, but they, they were at four under at that point. So, I, actually, no, going back. No, we, we've still got another week for me to stick to that. Oh, hot dog. Yeah. But uh, screw it. I'll, I'll still say if they're like, if they're five or six games under 500 uh, at this point in time, then I'm certainly with you. It's not time to give up on the season. But it is time to maybe start thinking about, you know, what can be done, what needs to change. I actually thought I had a question for you this week. Uh, you know, what if there's one thing you could change, one move you can make, you know, area to address whatever, whatever it is to try to right the ship for the Mets right now, what what would that be? All right. So I have I have. I have a cop-out answer for you here. All right. I'm going to answer first with my heart and then with my head. Okay. In my heart, I say fire Terry Collins. All right. And uh, and bring up or use who in his place? I mean, it could be an organ grinder's monkey at this point for all I care. <laughs> I, I can't imagine the bullpen being worse, <laughs> worsely deployed by almost anybody than it has been by Terry Collins. Well, as a as the Collins defender of of our duo, uh, <laughs> maybe not, you know, to the to the extreme, but in this context, the one game that jumped out was it, it was a Monday was it Monday night game, Tuesday night game maybe, I forget which one it was. They had a four or five run lead. And, I think, and he brought in Familia? Yeah, I think it was Tuesday night last week, and he brought in everybody. Well, he brought like, in Familia was the, with a five-run lead, and then the next day Familia blew the save. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So that was last Tuesday, the 9th, right? Yes. Let's just make sure I'm getting my facts right here. But Mets are up 6-1 late in the game, and the bullpen use was Blevins, Reed, Familia. So that that to me is a standout example of just how not to do it. Yeah, that that, that seems to be. It, it would be one thing if the relievers, if if those three relievers had not been in a game in four or five days, right? And he, and he felt that he needed to get them work. That's a completely justifiable use of those players. That right. was not the case. If no, I'm not they, mistaken, they were playing the Giants, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was that was the Tuesday night game is against the Giants, um, and all of those pitchers. Let me just double check. Yeah, all three of those pitchers had pitched the night before in a game that was tied until the Mets walked it off in the ninth. Right. Yeah. So you know, in in my not rational mind, where you know. Firing them, there are very few teams that fire a manager midway through the season and then all of a sudden put it together. 
You know, I think in our heads that happens more than it actually does happen. So I'm I'm not going to claim that that's the move that I would make to salvage the season. I will say this. If the Mets drop out of contention at any point during this year, that's when I want Collins fired and I want to give somebody else the chance to prove that the job is theirs for next year. So whoever the Mets internally think would be their next manager, give him the shot. If they're if they're going to be playing meaningless games in August and September, give that guy the shot to do it. Let him learn on the job. Let him get used to managing some of these players that are going to be on his team next year and do that. But if I'm looking at something I think that needs to be done right now that could possibly salvage the season in a more realistic fashion, I mean, I think the short answer has to be the bullpen. That said, I don't know what you do to fix the bullpen. Uh, you know, the, the Mets made a big splash today by signing Neil Ramirez, right. who had given up <laughs> 15 runs in 10 and a third innings with the Giants earlier this year. Um, just let that number sink in for you folks there for a second. Uh, you know, so I, I don't know who's out there that the Mets are necessarily going to be able to get. I think any trade piece the Mets have, it's a little early to trade them, and it's a little early to trade them for bullpen help. So... You know, we're going to get some questions about some of the Mets' farm, you know, some of their uh, some of their minor league pitchers, and, and maybe one of them is an answer, but I'm really not a fan of taking a starter and throwing him in the bullpen to patch a hole for a few weeks when somebody has a dead arm or somebody just needs some time off. So I don't, I don't have a great bullpen solution, but I think if you're looking at the team, they're scoring some runs. Their starting pitching has not been great, but there's at least two starters that are on their way back, hypothetically. So I wouldn't panic there. To me, the bullpen is is the place where the most attention is needed. Uh, what do you think? What's your one area? Hmm. Well, the only thought I... What, <laughs> I don't know if I was prepared to answer my own question. Um, the, the thing on Collins, going back to it, even if they saw that as the future, I would think they'll let him ride out the season. And then maybe if Pedro Lopez is the guy they have in mind for that, um, you know, maybe he comes up as a bench coach or extra coach, you know, in September, that kind of thing. But obviously that's not quite the same scenario that, that you uh, brought up, but it seems like he would be the guy. I mean, I don't, you know, I agree. I mean, it seems like he's the one. He's the chosen, uh, the chosen one. Yeah, and you know things could certainly change, but we know it's not going to be Wally Backman. <laughs> and Sorry, Wally. you know, and and going back to it, we know that Collins may decide to retire at the end of the season. You know, whether that's something that he chooses to do on his own if the team goes on and succeeds, uh, or if he. You know, if things don't end so well and officially it's a retirement. But, yeah, anyway, getting off Collins and on to the, the thing to fix. I, I don't want to say that calling up Rosario fixes everything because it, it doesn't. Uh, but it could help. And, you know, just getting Reyes out of the lineup could help. I know that's kind of a overly simplistic way of looking at it, but the outfield should be overcrowded again soon. Uh, 
Um, you know, that that's obviously not an area. If anything, you know, maybe it, it would help if Granderson could ever get going this season, but doing something like trading him or and on the roller coaster ride that has been Jay Bruce as a Met, saying this right now is probably not popular, but you know, trading somebody like Granderson if he heats up at all, or Bruce, who's gotten off to a good start for some help uh with pitching, which isn't what you thought you would have to do, but would be a way to kind of resolve the too many outfielders thing. That is true. So you know, I think that's something that you have to at least think about. And maybe there's bad 2006 memories of trading away Xavier Nady for Dwan or Sanchez, but the way that ended had way more to do with a freak accident off the field than, uh, you know, the the trade itself. Right. But, but yeah, I, those are the things that I would look at. Well, can I back up about the Rosario thing for a second? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. L- Let's let's think about this intelligently. You have you're Sandy Alderson right now, okay? Um, you have a great sweater vest on. You had a dog at your feet. You can help Terry Collins construct the best infield that he can const- that he can put out there for let's say five days of the week. You know, because you got to rest. The Mets have a lot of veterans. So you got to rest players. Who is your five day a week uh, Mets infield right now? And you you have minors, majors. You have the whole roster at your disposal. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, Duda at first, obviously. Good. Um, Walker at second. <laughs> Rosario at short. Everybody's healthy. Well, yeah. everybody who is reasonably within baseball playing health. Right now is healthy. Yes, you can't have David Wright. I know. You know that's my uh, that that's my dream infield. I know. But um, but yeah, I think it's Duda Walker, Rosario at short, and then Cabrera at at third. Um, you know, mine is similar, but I might have T.J. Rivera at third right now. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I think, I mean, Cabrera surprisingly held his own given the, um, you know, two significant injuries. <laughs> I mean, the hamstring had been bothering him for a longer time. Isn't there a rumor his knee is bothering him too? Uh, or is I don't just... know. I think that there's been some general references to, like, his legs. Okay. I mean, we know the knee was a, a thing late last season. Not that it affected his performance at all. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he finished the season incredibly strong. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's pretty much it. I'm also I'm I'm starting to buy T.J. Rivera. I've been rooting for him all along, you know. But it's just the longer he's hitting. And to be clear, it's not like he's, you know, on that Conforto level of hitting. Right. But he's been really good and, you know, high average, decent on base, decent slugging. That that gets the job done. Um, you know, that's better than the average major league hitter. Uh, it, it's still not a huge 
overall major league career to take into account, but it's it's increasingly more than nothing. Yeah, I guess my, you know, I go I go back and forth here because on one hand, if you have Rivera as the super sub, he'll play he'll play a lot for this team. You have to give just about everybody that's not named Rosario or Duda some significant time off every week. So, on one hand, you don't start him because you can get him playing time elsewhere. But on the other hand, I think that at this point in the season with his injuries, it might do Ezra Cabrera really well to to get more consistent time off. And, and, and none of this, he should be on the DL so let's just put him on the bench for a couple of days time off. I mean legitimate time off. Yeah. But yeah, I'm uh I'm okay with your uh with your infield. Yeah. I mean it's overall and the lineup really hasn't been the problem, you know? So it, I was uh a little sarcastic about the Rosario thing after one of these brutal losses. Uh, but, you know, he's somebody who can improve your defense at short over whether it's Reyes or Cabrera there. Um, that's not insignificant. And there's probably a good chance that he could be better uh, than one or both of them at the plate. You know, and yeah. that, that's that's not a guarantee. That's the part that you have to at least be willing to have some patience with, but you know, Reyes had that little spurt where he hit three home runs and all of a sudden all of his stats went way up and those count, you know, I hate taking away good or bad stretches and like recalculating, but since then he's been pretty awful, you know, and, and with Cabrera on the shelf, it is pretty frustrating to have Rosario just in Vegas Seemingly not being ready until Super 2 status passes. That I mean, at the point of the season we're in and, and then the list of injuries that the Mets are dealing with, it's hard not to see it that way. Right. Especially because he's hitting the cover off the ball right now. <laughs> For him, you know, he, he's hitting as well as he's going to hit in Vegas right now. There's no reason. He has nothing left to prove down there. Yeah, no, I mean, he's been excellent. You. you you know, give it the Vegas context in terms of adjusting expectations and everything. But, you know, as I've been, I think my phrase with it for him is that he's doing what he should be doing there. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just looking up how bad Reyes has sucked because <laughs> for some reason I like doing this. Uh, I don't know. His, his OPS peaked. Let's see. It hit a high of 626 Jeez. after the game on May 6th. And then, and, you know, arbitrary endpoints. I, I know you can make anybody look good or bad if you say their last whatever. But in the eight games that followed that, you had a 361 OPS. You know, Goodness even going gracious. back, even going back into, uh, when he hit those home runs, 545 since, you know, from May 2nd to 15th. Um, you know, that, that 
like I said, it was it was a spurt of, you know, he hit three home runs over the course of uh, five games, which is cool, great, but he was really bad before that, and he's been really bad since. And you know, he's got a two sixty nine on base percentage coming into the game, the tonight on on Tuesday night as we record. <clears throat> That's, that's, that's uh, an issue. That is a big issue, yes. <laughs> you, you know, the offense has been great, but if the pitching is going to suck, the offense needs to either sustain where it's at, which is a really good level, five, over five runs per game, um, or get better. You, you know, something has to improve. So if the pitching either needs more time or more players brought in from outside the organization – then the offense has to not have black holes in the lineup. I mean, you know, the good news is that with Cespedes coming back soon-ish and Duda being back and hopefully getting less playing time for Granderson, less playing time for Reyes somehow. I don't know how we're going to pull that off, but, you know, uh, (laughs) doing that – the offense should be able to, if not sustain this level of success, at least be competitive for the next, you know, for the next few months. There, there's no, aside from injuries, it appears that the Mets' offense is relatively stable. What again, whether they're going to reach these heights remain to be seen. But I'm, I'm confident they can be reasonably good for the next few months. The scary thing is that the bullpen just looks so unbelievably depleted. And that's why that's my answer, because aside from Reed and Blevins, I don't know if there's a single reliever on the major league staff right now. I trust. Yeah. I, it's tough to say right now that you could trust Robles. And I think maybe that's the issue overall. You know, when when can you say you really trust him? Because it's just been it's been exactly the same kind of thing uh, this year so far that we saw the last two years. You know, his ERA went from one point four two to like five point two three. If I'm remembering those things correctly off the top of my head Uh, in the span of two games, maybe he'll have another terrible outing or two before he goes on his next streak where he'll drop that ERA by two runs over the course of a month and a half and then have a week from hell. You know, it's just that's who he's been, and that's the kind of guy who it makes it tough to trust him because you just don't know. You know, when it when it falls off, it's so bad, and it always seems to be for more than one game. Yeah. And yeah. You know, that's that's the kind of thing that I was hoping, you know, maybe this is the year. Uh, Two things coming into the season. Maybe maybe this is the year that Darno doesn't go on the DL. Uh, That did not happen. Luckily, it seems like it's not going to be the longest DL stint he's had, but I've given up on that notion. Robles, I'm probably not quite given up on completely in, in this sense of what, you know, I'm talking about right now. But I don't know. You know, if it continues to be the pattern over the course of the rest of this season, then 
maybe that's all he'll ever be. It's not like, from my layman's eyes, I can see a... Like, there are certain pitchers who, when they're off, you can see it from the first pitch they throw. They look uncomfortable. Their delivery changes. I am I am no scout. I don't I don't even think I have decent eyes for a casual baseball fan when it comes to these things. But to me it doesn't appear that Robles has these these very clear indicators of when there's problems. And what's difficult about that is you don't know what Robles you're gonna get until he's three batters into the game then. Yeah. Right, and that makes it tough. So it's you know, it, it was, <clears throat> I guess the one thing I'll say in defense of the front office is that a lot of the relievers who I had hoped they would go after this winter have also been terrible <laughs> so okay. far this year. Uh, some have been good, but several of them have just been as bad as the Mets bullpen. Uh, you know, it, it's, but I'd still rather have one or two more of those guys in the fold. So real quickly before we get to our emails, we've already talked longer than I think we anticipated <laughs> yeah. before the emails. <laughs> uh, is there one Met in the minors or one you think relatively easily acquirable relief pitcher that would be your priority right now? Hmm. I mean, let's see. The second wild card just makes it. I don't think anybody's going to be easy to acquire right now. Well, right? easy-ish I mean, to acquire. I mean, to acquire, not, you know. Right, 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 yeah. Um, let's see. Who's on the Padres? That's a team that's like, <laughs> they're in last place. They were supposed to be in last place. They're probably going to finish there. You know, that that I, that's one team that I think right now could be realistic about where they are. The Blue Jays have climbed back to respectability. Right. They're still in last, but they're, they're getting themselves back into the conversation. Like they should get Donaldson back and all that. Uh, The Royals are bad and I don't think they're going to be good. The A's probably, yeah, they're probably legitimately bad in the Padres, but let let me just pick a random Padre. Sure. (laughs) Let's see. I mean, Brad Hand, maybe. See, I was. I think he was in my AOP this year. Yeah, I mean, just you know, looking for a guy who is a major league relief pitcher and probably shouldn't cost the world. <clears throat> um, Do you want to hear my really snarky answer? Sure, and Josh. he's been pretty good in San Diego. Yeah. Now, my answer is Josh Smoker. All right. (laughs) That was a very surprising roster move to me. I mean, he did have a 7.88 ERA. But look at who his compatriots are. (laughs) No, I I know. Well, the one thing about the the new guy, uh, Neil Ramirez, Uh is that the, the overall line, in terms of the major categories, strikeouts, walks, home runs, looks a lot like... Smoker or like half of the Mets bullpen right now. Yeah, he's he's a strikeout pitcher. His strikeout rate's been pretty consistent throughout his career. You know, again in these in the ten and the third innings, he had fifteen runs. 
He also struck out 18. So right. he can still miss bats, um, which is valuable. But when they don't miss the bat, <laughs> they go a long way. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that, that seems to be somewhat of a theme. And I love high strikeout relievers. It's just, um, yeah. Yeah. So e- emails. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, let's try and fly through these, all right? Yeah. So the first one's from David, and this is an old email. I'm warning you guys. This is Some of these are almost two weeks old here. Um, hey, guys, more than the losing streaks, the 23-5 to shellacking, and the numerous injuries to our hitters, it's a Syndergaard injury that makes me most pessimistic about the Mets' 2017 season. If the Mets were in a position to replace their best pitcher with Master Luka coming off the DL, or Verrett or Yanella coming up from Vegas... What did that $800,000 get us, Sandy? He asks parenthetically. I might argue that the Mets could find a way to compete even without Thor, but replacing Syndergaard in the rotation with Rafael Montero is simply unacceptable. We know that Montero will give. We know what Montero will give us, and barring the Mets scoring eight runs in his starts, I think we're looking at losses every time he takes the mound. Do you think they should call someone else up from the minors? They have a couple of pitchers in Vegas and Binghamton with good starts this year. Uh, Knuckleball and Mickey Janis is 3-0 and with an ERA under 2, and just took a no-hitter into the 6th. Uh, or how about a trade? I think the Mets have a plethora of decent or above-average infielders on short-term deals. Duda, Walker Cabrera, or even the Reyes of the past week. That's how you know how old this email is. It talks about <laughs> Reyes being good. Um, could packaging two of them or one of them with a Brandon Nimmo or TJ Rivera type bring us a reliable starting pitcher and allow us to bring up Rosario or Smith to replace the players we traded? I'm open to any ideas that do not involve seeing Rafael Matera every fifth day. I well, hope David, you like Tommy Malone. <laughs> I was going to say, I hope you, I hope you, you're happy that you wrote this email and the baseball gods answered with Tommy Malone. <laughs> I mean, it, it, the point about training an infielder is it's an interesting one. Uh, you know, obviously, I just had brought up the outfield, but the infield also has you know, more major league guys. If we're reconfiguring, going back to our ideal infield, mm-hmm. as dribble at second, maybe, you know, is if Walker fetches you something useful, I'm, I'm less inclined. And I don't know, maybe this is just from where I get my prospect coverage. I'm not one to say that Smith does not have a, chance to be a good major league player but i'm not as much in a rush to bring him up and make him an everyday player and see what happens as i am with rosario i agree and i think that's that's probably everyone but you know i know i know and i don't think this particular email indicates due to hatred but i know there are due to haters out there who would are probably in love with smith simply because he's not lucas duda right But all that said, that I, it's not a terrible idea. I mean, some combination of an infielder and or two uh, or Nimmo or whatever, I, I'm sure that could get you a major league starting pitcher. Not a great one, but someone. And, you know, hopefully it won't come to that. It, it The thing that I guess I'm hoping for is that either Mats, preferably, or Lugo uh, – can take that spot in two or three weeks now. You know, we know that they're about to officially start rehab assignments, which are real, you know, pitching in baseball games, even if it's just 
a couple of innings to to get you know get on track to come back but the team has to remain relevant until they do yeah and you know it, it's because Elman's got to be it, since this email was written getting Gazelman out of the rotation. I mean, before the season, I wrote a thing. Gazelman's clearly the best option at fifth starter. <laughs> Zach Wheeler, forget about that guy. And Wheeler's been pretty good. Not not amazing, He's, but he's been better than most of his peers. And he's certainly been better than Gazelman. So I guess my point here is listen to everything I say. <laughs> Because I, I I know all, um, but yeah, I, I, hopefully both of those guys can get back, back relatively soon while the team is still at least in the wild card mix, because uh, that would give you a chance to sort of turn the rotation around. The, I mean, trust me, I would really prefer that Syndergaard didn't miss any time. Uh, I guess the. One of the exciting things about the last month or two of this season is that he should be a part of it. Well, I, I said that to my father today on the phone. I said, there's nobody out there I would rather the Mets acquire in August than Noah Syndergaard. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's... Sorry I mean, I don't think... I don't you know. love... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't love Tommy Malone in the spot either. Um one I forget who wrote the comments at the time that the Mets picked up Malone, but one of the users uh, commenters on the site commented, uh, "He's terrible and an upgrade." <laughs> yep, that's so who we are. are. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for the email, David. Uh, next email comes from Josh. Hey guys, do you believe the current infield configuration every day is a liability? This sounds like a conversation we just had, Chris. Uh, <laughs> to me, it seems pretty clear that Cabrera has limited range and Reyes is far more comfortable at short than third. I understand that Cabrera would be reluctant to move to third, reluctant to move to third midseason without any spring training reps, but wouldn't the switch at least upgrade the shortstop defense enough to cover? What are your thoughts on possibly shuffling the infield? Um, well, that that's a hypothetical that I think we could still consider, right? Say, yes. Say everybody's healthy, and those. By the two... way, I, I changed my answer from before. Flores is playing third in my everyday infield. Ah, okay. Sort of forgot about Wilmer Flores for a second there. So yeah, he's he's sort of been the forgotten man this season. Yeah. Uh, but you know, in a hypothetical situation that those two guys are are playing every day, the position switch, I the. I buy that Cabrera maybe doesn't, you know, love the idea of third uh, kind of on the spot. And I also buy that Reyes looks terrible defending a third. <laughs> but we, um, I think we've covered this tonight. Uh, Rosario would be my my solution to upgrading the defense. Um, you know, and I, if Reyes does look better at short than he does at third without question i just don't know if that's still good right i mean i would look better at third than short but i would look terrible anywhere <laughs> just because you look better <laughs> one place than the other doesn't mean you're a good fit in either place necessarily right um, so yeah i'm not in love with the idea of swapping them 
Um, even if we just accept a reality in which they are the left side of the infield and Rosario isn't? I would say in, in this purely hypothetical situation, maybe what I would like to see is at the end of a game, Reyes move over to short and uh, Cabrera to third or Cabrera come out of the game. If you're looking to shore up infield defense late, if that's something you believe in. Yeah. Yeah, to you me, can try it. Yeah. To me, that's the least offensive way to do it, but we'll see. And our final email comes to us from David again. Hey, guys. Hope all is well. I was wondering about a few pitchers on the farm and their current injury status. Marcus Molina came back from Tommy John to pitch the Arizona Fall League, but nothing after that. Chris Flexion. Do we know what's going on with him? And Th- and Thomas Zabucki, is he hurt or just in a short season league? Thanks, David. Um, Chris, we did a little research before the show, so why don't you uh, lay on uh, our listeners the research you pulled up. So, yeah, uh, tonight Molina made his first start in a you know an affiliated minor league game uh, since his Tommy John surgery. Four innings, one run, three strikeouts, one walk. Um, that's, you know, that, Hey, that's an encouraging beginning to his comeback from, from the injury. This is somebody who was, you know, on the radar before he got hurt. So he's, he's gone back out there and hopefully he continues what he had started, you know, before that surgery, um, Flexen set to make his start tomorrow night uh at at this current point in time so last night or even longer ago depending (laughs) on when you're listening but you know two of those guys are out there and then with zapucky the latest thing that we had heard uh had him projected to come back sometime around now and you know i know some folks who follow this stuff um maybe more closely than we do have been speculating in the last few days about you know who which affiliate might have a spot in the rotation that doesn't you know doesn't have a guy named to start in it and would that be Zapucky uh so hopefully by the time you're hearing this or shortly thereafter all three of these guys have been on the mound playing in baseball games and you know, I, I, I get wondering about it because they aren't the only minor league pitchers who could make a major league impact at some point, but I think just the current state of the rotation probably has people at least thinking about, oh, what's that next wave like? Not like you want to get rid of the guys who are here or, or whatever, but it's just one of those sort of, uh, you know, reality sort of hits you in the face and you, and you go, Oh, right. They're not invincible. And there's not a great guy, you know, Montero had to make some starts and Tommy Malone's in the rotation. You know, how long is it going to be before, you know, let's say no Syndergaard in two years, a simple minor thing, right? Let's say he just tweaks a hamstring needs uh three or four weeks. It's the kind of thing that can happen to a guy, you know, at what year would we be comfortable replacing it with somebody from the minors? And, you know, these are guys who 
to varying degrees, I think would fit that bill um, if they maintain the trajectories that they've been on and health. Yeah, I agree with all that. So, so yeah, I mean, it's it, when when these three guys are pitching right now in the grand scheme of Mets things is not the first thing that's on my mind. Um, but that's not, I don't mean to downplay it. You know, I, I get it. Uh, I just, I don't know. I'm holding out hope that when the Mets are in Pittsburgh and I am in Pittsburgh, that the games will feel like they mean something. Let me tell you, every game in Pittsburgh means something. It's a beautiful ballpark. All right. Well, yeah, there we go. That That is a good way of looking at it. And you're going to be eating a Permancy Brothers sandwich. Yeah. Yeah, first <clears throat> first time in the city with the sandwich in the ballpark. Some icy light. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to have to take you up on that recommendation, even though I generally detest beers like that. Oh, me too. Don't get me wrong. But no, I know. <laughs> it's, it's like the... Uh... For those for those who are going to be spending some time in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, they take their Iron City Light very, very seriously there, and it's a uh, it's about as good as a light beer gets. Let's put it that way. For for a baseball game, for a hot day, when you're having a sandwich that has French fries, coleslaw, and tomatoes on it, you're going to need something a little bit lighter to wash that down with. And an icy light is is my recommendation to you. All right. Wow. There we have it. We're, we're back. We're, we're back, back baby. Better than ever. <laughs> and uh, in the next week or so, we will be announcing a date for a uh, weeknight Met game. We had talked about doing it in May, and then we, we blinked, and it's the middle of May, and we haven't done anything yet. But yeah, it, it will but be the weather June. the weather has sucked, so yes. we were really just looking out for you. Yeah, thank us. <laughs> thank us for doing this, uh, for stalling. But yeah, in June, we'll get to an, a weeknight game. We'll all hang out. We'll have some drinks. We'll watch the Mets, and we'll... Um, Hopefully be laughing about how the Mets have won, like, you know, 20 straight games at that point. Hey. If it happened in the Moneyball movie. <laughs> and real life. No, but I, more importantly, the movie. Hey, everybody. This is Steve Saipa, and I'm back to go over our minor league plays of the week for week six. And I just want to apologize ahead of time now because I know that my voice sounds terrible between going to the Ring of Honor show on Sunday and then I went to the Lakewood doubleheader on Monday. My voice is just shot. But here I am and I want to talk about the minor leagues. So the Las Vegas 51s went 1-5 and five for the week and are entering week 5 with a 15-21 and 21 record, which puts them dead last in the division and six games behind the Salt Lake Bees. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 3-3 three and three and had two po- rain postponements and are entering Week 7 with an 18-13 and 13 record, which puts them one game behind the Trenton Thunder for first place. The St. Lucie Mets went 4-3 and three and are entering Week 7 with a 16-21 and 21 record, <clears throat> which puts them eight games behind the Bradenton Marauders for first place. And finally, the Columbia Fireflies went 3-1 and one with four rain postponements. And are entering week seven with a seventeen and sixteen record, which puts them four and a half games behind the Greenville Drive for first place. 
So, obviously, a lot of uh, terrible weather last week. So, for week six, our pitcher of the week is another Columbia Firefly starter. And this week, it's Gabriel Yanis. And he started one game and threw a complete game against the Delmarva Shorebirds, uh, allowing one one unearned run, giving up seven hits, walking one, and striking out five. So, Giannis was drafted in the 15th round of the 2014 draft at a Downey High School in California. He was a big kid. He's uh, 6'4", 180 at the time. And he had a good bloodline. His father was drafted uh, in 1984 by the Orioles. And he played in their system for a few years. So, there was some stuff to like. But at the same time, he was pretty raw. Um, He was basically drafted on the power of his fastball, which sat 88-93. to which is pretty decent for a high school kid getting drafted out of the 15th round. But the problem was that it had a lot of movement on it, and as a result, Yanez had trouble commanding it properly. Um, the pitch had some sink, and it had a ton of arm side run. So basically, he had a lot of trouble keeping it in the zone uh, as a result. His secondary stuff was pretty undeveloped, and it basically consisted of just a slider that occasionally flashed average when he didn't overthrow it, and then a non-existent changeup. So since getting drafted, um, Yanez has posted a 3.60 ERA in 45 innings with the GCL Mets and the Kingsport Mets in 2015, and a 3.94 ERA in 80 innings with the Clum- with the Cyclones last year. Uh, it's encouraging that his basically his walk rate was uh, microscopic. I mean, um, it is 1.4 walks per nine for his career, and that's pretty good. That's pretty encouraging given his command issues. But unfortunately, his strikeout rate is uh, pretty low as well. For his minor league career now, it's 4.7 strikeouts per nine innings. So really, uh, Giannis's future isn't all that uh, certain. I mean... With a below-average-to-average fastball, a below-average-to-average slider, and a below-average changeup, you know, advanced A or double A kind of might be where he maxes out. And now our hitter for the week is Las Vegas 51's outfielder Desmond Jennings. Jennings went 9-20 for the week with a double, a triple, three home runs, four RBIs, a walk, four strikeouts, and one stolen base in one attempt. So, obviously, Jennings isn't uh, an in-house guy. Uh, He was signed on April 6th of this year as a minor league free agent after being released from the Cincinnati Reds. And then before he was with Cincinnati, Jennings was with Tampa Bay. Uh, He was drafted by them in 2005. He was a highly touted prospect with them. He made his debut with them in 2010. Uh, but since since then, since his debut, he's kind of been something of a bust. Um, he did accrue 11.7 war in his career, so he's not fully a bust or anything like that. <clears throat> but greater things were expected of him, and it didn't really pan out like that. Uh, many thought he could kind of be a 15 home run, 30 stolen base guy that could hit for a decent average and you know play above average defense and center or so. And, you know, he's had his ups and downs, um, but from his debut until 2014, he was kind of that, if you squinted your eyes a little bit. You know, he never hit for that great of an average because he struck out a little bit too much, 
but he hit between 10 and 14 home runs. He stole between 15 and 30 bases, and he was a net positive uh, defensive outfielder, splitting his time in left and center. So, I mean, wasn't too bad of a player. Not what the Tampa Bay Rays were necessarily hoping and expecting, but a solid uh, a solid player over a, a couple of years. But then in the last two years, in 2015 and 16, injuries to his knees and his legs basically kept him off the field in both years. And maybe even worse than that, <clears throat> being a guy whose main baseball weapon was his speed, those injuries really damaged his you know abilities as a player going forward. So, so far in Las Vegas now, he's having a good season. Uh, he's hitting 288, 353, 492 in 31 games. A lot of that is the tear that he actually went on this week because before the week started, he was hitting 255, 333, 378. Um, well, you know, it all, it all counts. So, realistically, Jennings isn't really much more than minor league depth for Las Vegas. I mean, <clears throat> before he was even signed, Las Vegas didn't have an actual person with real center field experience. But now that Brendan Nimmo is back from his injury, um, and the outlook is 50 50 on him being promoted to the Mets or staying with Las Vegas when his rehab assignment is over. Jennings might be expendable. And, I mean, that happens a lot with guys like him. You know, last year, Roger we had Ron, Roger Bernardina in that role as a kind of veteran guy that was just signed to play a position and, and get at-bats. And the year before that, there was Brandon Allen and Alex Castellanos. So, I mean, it is what it is with him. Uh, I was a fan of Jennings, you know, when he was a prospect with the Rays. He was one of the first guys that I took a vested interest in you know, as a prospect of some other team. Um, and I remember <laughs> I picked him up in my fantasy baseball team back in the day and had him sitting on my bench waiting weeks and weeks and weeks for him to be called up. And I dropped him when I needed a spot. And then sure enough, a couple of days later, the Rays called him up and somebody else snagged him. And that sucked. <laughs> but, you know, I'm rooting for the guy, obviously. But it's really hard to see him factoring into the Mets' plan in any way, really, in the near future, unless there's some, you know, another rash of, of injuries. And with the way the things have been going, you know, really, who knows with that. So <laughs> he could be uh, wearing orange and blue in a couple of weeks. Who knows? So anyway, those are our minor league players of the week for week six. And I will be back next week, hopefully with a better voice on a Mason Avenue audio. Hello, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and I'm recording this on a Wednesday morning after the Mets lost their sixth straight game to the Diamondbacks. It was not a good time, although at least the Mets were competitive. Tommy Malone gave up five runs in a little over five innings, but the Mets bullpen gave up zero runs, and that's something to celebrate as a silver lining right now, and hopefully... The team is able to get back on track when they play a matinee against the Diamondbacks at 3.40 Eastern this afternoon, and then they'll get on the plane, come back home, and play the Angels for a three-game set starting on Friday. But the point is, the Mets are not in good shape right now. Everyone's freaking out, and 
the good news is they are trying to do something to fix their bullpen, which it seems everyone they turn to just falls apart. Hansel Robles had a complete meltdown on Monday night. And Fernando Salas, Sunday in Milwaukee, was the guy who just gave up a bunch of hits. It, it, every, every time they try to turn to someone in this seventh, eighth inning role, it just completely has fallen apart this past week. And that's, why, that's part of the reason why they've lost six in a row. But the good news is they finally used Paul Seawald last night, which was a Tuesday night in Arizona after... Tommy Malone came out of the game, it was 5-2, to two, and Paul Seawald came out and he pitched one and one-third perfect innings, struck out three batters. That is pretty good. And the reason I talk about Paul Seawald is because he's been decent so far. This is his first major league action of his career. He's been a Met through and through since being they drafted him out of the University of San Diego in... 2012, in the 10th round. And he is, what's interesting about him, he's never been a high upside prospect. In fact, he's never started a game in his minor league career, let alone his major league career. So this is a guy who's drafted to be a bullpen guy. And it's worked out for him so far. He's, he's, he's reached the majors. And it looks like he's going to stick because he's one of the guys who hasn't been a huge problem thus far. And throughout his minor league career, he's had decent strikeout and walk rates, good ERA ERA numbers at every level. In a full season at Vegas last year, 65.2 innings pitched, 11 strikeouts per nine, a little under three walks per nine, 3.29 ERA, which, of course, in Vegas is pretty darn good, Uh, especially since he was was a fly ball pitcher, 36% ground ball rate. He let up. A decent amount of home. He let up nine home runs in those 65 innings, but uh, hopefully that translates to fewer at the major league level, though, like I said, fly ball pitcher, so he's going to give some up, but he was missing bats in the minors so far in the majors. He's doing a decent job of that as well. He's got 14 strikeouts and two walks in 12 innings, and he's done a good job in mop-up duty, so this should be the next guy that Terry Collins tries to trust in the 7th or 8th inning, although you can't really blame him for not wanting to trust anyone anymore. The point is, Paul Seawald is fresh. He has put up good numbers at every level. He can miss bats. He is ready to go. He just had a great performance last night. So, Paul Seawald, I'm all aboard the train, and hopefully this guy can give the Mets bullpen some sort of stability. The other guy that the Mets might turn to as the bullpen is falling apart, is Neil Ramirez, who they just picked up. He was a San Francisco Giant in their terrible bullpen earlier this season. The deal with him, he was a pretty high upside guy. He came over to the Cubs from Texas as a player to be named later when they when they uh, traded away Mad Garza in 2013. And Ramirez, he was drafted in the first round back in, he was a 44th overall pick, so he was a supplemental first round pick by the Rangers in 2007. Made his major league debut with the Cubs in 2014 and was a great addition to their bullpen. He struck out 53 batters in 43.2 innings, 
1.44 ERA, 1.05 whip. This guy looked like he could be a future closer for somebody. And then in 2015, he was derailed by shoulder and oblique issues. So, of course, he's perfect for the Mets. This guy had a career that looked bright. Ended up getting hurt, bounced around to Milwaukee, Minnesota, back to the Cubs in 2016, and now on the Giants in 2017. He looked at pretty good stuff. He had 18 strikeouts and 10.1 innings this year, but he also had an 8.71 ERA because he gave up two home runs and a bunch of hits, 15 hits, two home runs. Again, the equivalent of just over a complete game of baseball and so, so, but the peripheral numbers were good. 18 strikeouts, four walks, 10.1 innings. Mets, why not take a chance on this guy who's had injury issues, who still has a, a, a great slider that he can use to miss bats, who might be able to step in and fill this void they have of decent bullpen pitching. Because of the strikeout rate, I think he's still got decent upside. Last year, between Minnesota and the Cubs, he struck out 24 batters but walked 18 in 24 innings, so just an unplayable walk rate. But this year, he's only walked four in 10 and a third, so that's not as bad. It's too small of a sample size to know if it's going to get any any better or worse, but if he can just get, if he can go get the walks under control, this guy, he can still miss a bat, he, and he's worth taking a shot on. 27 years old out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. And he is a pretty tall six foot four right-hander. And the Mets are, Mets are desperate right now, so why not take a shot on Neil Ramirez and, and give Paul Seawald some high-leverage action and let's just see where these guys can take us. I'm excited. So this could all fall apart. Both Ramirez and Seawald might get rocked this afternoon. On Wednesday afternoon is the Mets prepare to salvage or try to salvage a game in the, against the Diamondbacks, but hopefully that won't happen and they both pitch really well and and the Mets can get moving with a little momentum here as they head back home to Queens. This has been Aaron York for your Amazing Avenue Audio Podcast. Have a great day, guys. Don't you miss the days when the Mets had relievers they could count on? Any one of these top five relief pitchers in franchise history would do quite nicely right about now. At number five, it's a key member of the 2006 National League East champions, left-hander Billy Wagner. Putting a shaky postseason record and some nervous regular season outings aside, Wagner saved 40 games for the Mets in 06 while posting a 2.24 ERA and tallying 94 strikeouts. He never really matched those numbers again, although 2007 did see him save 34 more with an ERA of 2.65. Arm injuries halted his 2008 and 2009 seasons before he was dealt to Boston in August of 2009. Number four is another modern-day closer, and as of the start of this month, the current closer, J. Reese Familia. Unfortunately, the lasting image of Familia in 2015 and 2016 respectively was his failure in the playoffs, in the World Series versus Kansas City, and in last year's wildcard contest against San Francisco. And it's possible we may have seen the last of him already in 2017. But when he's out there, and at his best, he can be dominant. Just take his streak of converting on 52 consecutive regular season save opportunities, 
the third best run in Major League history. While Familia's October failures obscure his regular season greatness, the unmistakable image of our number three reliever, Jesse Orozco, is of him in celebration after the 1986 World Series triumph, tossing his glove in euphoria after striking out Marty Barrett. That glove still hasn't come down. Jesse played with nine different big league clubs over his remarkable 24-year career. His longest stay came with the Mets, from his rookie year of 1979 through 1987. Over 375 games and nearly 600 innings, Orozco's ERA was 2.73, and he surpassed Tug McGraw as the club's all-time leader in saves with 107. Both of his all-star appearances came in a New York uniform, including 1983, when he won 13 games, had an ERA of 1.47, and was third in the National League Cy Young Award voting. Orozco's save total would be surpassed by the final two relief pitchers on our list, starting with number two, Armando Benitez. Not to incite any vitriol, but Benitez probably doesn't get the respect he deserves. Some of his most spectacular letdowns came in important moments, like Game 1 of the 2000 World Series against the Yankees. And for someone that grew up watching him tank in big spots, he frustrated me to no end. However, he saved 139 games between 1999 and 2002, his 41 in the pennant year of 2000 was third best in the NL. 43 more the next year, good for second best in the league. Benitez ranks second in Mets history in the saves category, and is second on our list. Number one on both accounts is both a Brooklyn native and a former star at St. John's University. John Franco gets the top spot not because he fit the prototypical reliever mold. He didn't dominate with overpowering stuff. Instead, he was consistent thanks to changing speeds and good location. His location wasn't always ideal, creating more problems than us fans would care to sit through. But more often than not, Franco came through as both a closer and a setup man. Acquired from the Reds in a trade for Randy Myers prior to the 1990 season, Franco led the NL in saves that year with 33. He topped the league again in the strike-shortened season of 1994 with 30. Over 14 seasons in New York, he set a franchise mark at 276 saves, 116 more than Benitez, and remains the all-time saves leader among left-handers. That's all for this list. Now if we could just sign one of these five, the 2017 Mets would be in a little better shape. I'm Brian Wright. You can follow me on Twitter, at BrianWright86. Hey Mets fans, this is Steve Shriver. Uh, welcome to Unsolicited Advice. This is our segment on Mason Avenue Audio where we give Mets players uh, unsolicited advice, um, as the title implies. Um, I'm Steve. I'm here with Caitlin McCabe. Hey, Caitlin. Hello. How's it going? It's going well. It's going, I mean, it's going well for me, not so much with the Mets, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, they they kind of, they seem to be trading, like, good weeks and then bad weeks and then, like, really bad weeks and then horrendous weeks, and so it's a mess. Yeah, moments of hope get destroyed very easily here. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, uh, we'll, uh... Hopefully, uh, hopefully they can fix that. Uh, there's not much we can do, uh, but we can try to give them some advice, at least, and, uh, you know, maybe they'll listen to it. They probably won't, but, uh, 
you know, we can we can only do so much, right? <laughs> so, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the goings-on of this week, and we're actually going to focus a little more uh, off the field, uh, particularly on uh, TV, where uh, Nelson Figueroa has been kind of uh, ripping the Mets apart on uh, the post-game show. Breaking from the script a little bit. It's it's really, really fun to watch. Um, so on uh, Monday night, uh, Nelson really kind of ripped apart the pitching and uh, uh, sort of talking about um, how they were, I guess they were overrated uh, just based on promise and not based on the actual results. I think that was kind of the, yeah. kind of his argument. Um, potential, but not excellent execution. Right, right. So, um, man, Nelson, my man, keep, keep going. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's well, my, that's that, my advice. That's the SNY commentators, they, you know, fall too frequently in the rhetoric that the Mets are always right and too much optimism. And I think that, you know, Figueroa has a little bit of an edge because, I mean, he's been a pitcher, so he does have more of an analysis of what it actually is like to be a pitcher in the major leagues, unlike your normal analyst. And honestly, it's just refreshing to hear someone say, yeah, this sucks. It is, it is. And it, it, it was kind of, kind of funny, like the, the juxtaposition of, of hearing Nelson and then Gary Apple trying to like say, oh, you know, maybe, maybe everything, you know, it's, are you're, you're a little too tough on them. You know, everything is, you know, they, they were, they were good. And then Nelson's no, no, I'm not, I'm not having it. No, this, this, this they, they're overrated. Yeah, because what we're doing is coddling, like, 24 to 27-year-olds, you know, at an age when they should be pushed. You know, not, not so much to, to um, you know, like, build strength or to overexert themselves, but just to play to their best. And I think, with the exception of, say, Noah, who's always like, I want to throw faster, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think we, we keep them too comfortable and they continue to be worshipped the way, the way that they are. There's no incentive for them to actually do better. And and you can also look at it like not only are you coddling the players who are you know adults, you're also coddling like the, the team, the front office, the the uh-huh. ownership who are like fifty, sixty. If you know you're talking about like Fred Wilpon, he's what like seventy years old or whatever. Yeah. You know, so these are like you know okay, let's let's you know let's let's get a, a little bit of, of reality here, a little base underneath of us. Um, so it's really, really kind of refreshing to see. I, I, I was enjoying it um, to to watch, you know, Nelson really, really kind of go at it. Yeah, it was a comedic split from reality. And I mean, you got to give the optimists some credit because, I mean, look at the rotation now. We never expected Zach Wheeler to be performing the way that he is, even if it's not, say, exceptional. Ace, Ace Zach Wheeler. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's still like unbelievable compared to where we thought he would be at this mm-hmm. time in the season you know and then look at the rest of the rotation we didn't necessarily you know many a few of them we didn't even think would be a part of the primary rotation hello hello team. tommy malone yeah who is, who is? <laughs> I, I you know i was going through the roster and it's like starting pitcher and I was like, what the heck is this Tommy Malone, also known as uh, Mommy Talone, if you uh, if you spoonerize his name, you switch you know the first two letters of his name. 
because that's something you would do. Of course, it's it's, it's always what I do. I I, yeah. I do it at every every turn. Uh, can I can I call you Maitland Cabe? I don't know how that would work. Yeah. I yeah I sorry I'm making a fool of myself. No, but it, but it's true. I mean, that guy is kind of just like he probably didn't even expect to be here. I mean, Matt Matt Harvey is having just a, a personal emotional crisis that's obviously affecting his performance. Um, you know, Noah just you know like over probably overworked himself. No one knows what's going on with Gazelman personally. I mean, he had great expectations and great potential, but maybe his pitches are just getting too predictable. And then there's Degrom, and honestly, I just. I said this on Twitter. I just think Degrom hates everyone right now. <laughs> I mean, like, wouldn't wouldn't you? I mean, most of the time the bullpen lets him down. You know, if he messes up in the beginning, he always like pulls his way and like always does a steady job. And and, and then you just look at the rest of the rotation. And the, I mean, he just needs a hug. <laughs> I mean, I I hate everyone, including myself. So um, yeah, I can I can totally understand. You know, Jake, where you're coming from. If if you hate everybody. Um, you got, you know, I, I know exactly how you feel. I mean, because everyone's just being critical of the rotation right now. And Jacob is just like waving his arms being like, Hey, I was injured I'm last here, season. I'm here. I'm, I'm back. Good. What am I doing? You know, no one's talking about me, you know? So yeah, I mean, it, it's, maybe he's the ace of the Mets right now. Cause it's not like Syndergaard is helping us until after the all-star break. And at that point, I wouldn't be surprised if he is in his first like inning you know, gets another blister or just is pulled after three innings because they don't want to overwork him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the pitching, as as we can see, is a mess. <clears throat> and uh, the uh, it's nice when, uh, you know, somebody goes on TV on uh, basically, you know, Mets Fox News or whatever you want to call us and why yeah. and uh, – you know, really it's points it out. Again. Yeah, points points it out and says, you know, okay, they they suck and they have to be better. Yeah, I mean, we're all Mets fans. We wouldn't be watching this po- the post game coverage if we weren't Mets fans and interested in hearing about the game and what happened. But sometimes you just kind of you don't want them to be giving you the Oprah Winfrey mantra that's going to keep you optimistic. Sometimes you just want to hear, okay, this is what the problem is. It's a really bad problem, but this is how we should get out of it. You know, the the Mets uh, Oprah Winfrey mantra is more like you get an arm injury, you get an arm injury, you get an arm injury, sort of like that over <laughs> yeah, over exactly. and over and it's over again. The New Yorker, the New Yorker and the, the, the New York Post, like, why does God hate the Mets? I mean, <laughs> again, I mean, with the exclusion of Jacob deGrom, it's just so much hate, so much hate. <laughs> Speaking speaking of hate, this is a this is a great great segue. Um, we're gonna we're gonna spin away a little bit from the Mets uh, because uh, we have to we have to address something that's happening across town or that happened across town, I guess. Uh, Derek Jeter. Hashtag the captain. Hashtag respect. R e two p e c t. Right, I spelled that right. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Hashtag respect. Um, Derek Jeter uh, had his number retired on uh, what Saturday, Sunday, whenever it Sunday. was. Who, who Sunday cares? Was, Sunday was Jeter Day. Jeter Day. Jeter Week. Right. Father, right. Right. MLB's uh, Twitter account got co-opted by uh, Jeter highlights for a week. Yeah, kill mm-hmm. me. 
Um, that commercial of all the number twos in New York City being replaced with the Jeter logo, <laughs> like the, the two in the pinstripes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, we. I, I I don't know about you, Caitlin, but I, I've I've had far more enough of Derek Jeter than I can handle. I mean, like he was a fabulous player. Don't get me wrong. Yes. He he, do, yeah. he does a lot for philanthropy, and unlike you know, like the normal retired athlete approach, which, approach, which is where you either go on, you know, a, and become an analyst or you just do absolutely nothing. I mean, I think the Players' Tribune, even if he has a tiny role mm. and they just claim he has a large role, I mean, I, I think that's pretty interesting. And he's certainly taking a different approach. Um, he actually spoke at my college like two years ago. Um, got to meet him. He winked at me. It was, it was, it was a pretty big deal, but, um, <laughs> did, he, but did, he, no. did he say, yeah, jeets, yeah, jeets, yeah, jeets. <laughs> during the, during his speech, everyone was yelling it, but no, I mean, <laughs> it was, I was in a very intimate press conference and he, he gave me the little wink, but, ah, okay. <laughs> I see. but I see. no, I mean, I think when it comes to the hype, it, it falls in two categories for me because obviously I think as a player, he deserves that hype. But people are marking him sort of as, like, the savior of New York City. And, I mean, maybe somewhat of an equivalent for the Mets could be when Mike Piazza's number was retired. And I feel like it wasn't the same, like, New York City-wide phenomenon. It was specifically specific Mets yes. phenomenon. Yeah. And I think lots of Jeter's acclaim is coming to him just being this total, like, womanizer slash, like, very attractive baseball player and that's kind of where I have an issue because I, I honestly think he's completely overrated in the works category but yeah I mean I think again the most obnoxious part is that he it's like he saved New York City you know he the, saved New York after 9-11 and all mm. the stuff that Yankees fans are talking about that I, I just don't buy into that count the rings count the rings <laughs> yeah um so uh, my advice, uh, Derek Jeter, because I, I sorry, I'm I'm sick of you. Um, please uh, take all your money, uh, your beautiful wife, uh, whatever else you have. I don't know if you have a dog or like, you know, a pony or something, um, and go like go buy a private island and uh, you know disappear out of my life forever. Um, <laughs> is that is that too harsh? I mean, well, I mean, I guess... Yeah, yes, it is, right? <laughs> if, he's, if he's successful with buying the Marlins, I mean, he would be in Florida, which is essentially as far away from reality of New York <laughs> that you can get. That's, but, that's true, I mean, that's true. I, I, don't, I don't really know what the progress with that is. I feel like the saying now is no developments have been made. Yeah. But think about it. So, like, if he buys the Marlins, right, then all the Yankee fans that are obsessed with Derek Jeter, and we'll just blindly follow the captain anywhere, we'll then be like, oh, yeah, the Marlins, and that'll just cause even more hatred towards the Mets. So I feel like either way, you know, the Mets can't win when it comes to Derek Jeter, and I don't mean that in a way that's saying, oh, Derek Jeter is just so great, but it's, you know, like you either sure. get bandwagon fans, or you just mm -hmm. get the long, longly miserable Mets fans, and all of New York will always follow Jeter, and he's probably the Yankees. For sure, yeah, um, and it, yeah, if if he does end up buying the Marlins, the Mets have to play them like eighteen times a year. So, uh, you know, we're gonna see lots and lots and lots of uh, lots Derek. Of yeah, lots of lots of jeets. Um, though I I am intrigued at least seeing once uh, Derek Jeter wearing a Marlins hat, just because I think it would be so totally bizarre. 
Um, with the terrible colors. Yeah, yeah, with the, the the crazy rainbow colors, and you know, maybe like a picture. Put a you know what they should they should put a picture of Jeter on you know like the home run whirly gig sculpt sculpture in Miami. <laughs> they should just like put his face on it. I think, and like you know, really really do it up um, down there. Uh, I mean, I think he would be a good like owner manager, whatever he would be, but. I don't know. I just think it's somewhat ridiculous when I think of Miami Marlins and like Christian Yelich and just and John Carlos Stan just chilling out with Dark Jeter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, uh, for them, I'm sure that would be that'd be really cool. Um, for me, that would be that would be like borderline nightmare. Um, Whatever. All we all we know that if Yelich starts sending out gift baskets or people start claiming that rumor is true, we know something's going on down there. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I guess, uh, aside from Jeter moving to a remote island where he, you know, doesn't have to affect my life, um, hopefully, uh, you know, we'll find out something with, uh, him and the Marlins and, uh, and Jeb Bush as well is apparently a part of that for, for some reason, um, you know. Well, you know, they, they have, I don't remember where this article was published, honestly, I think the person blocked me on Twitter, but, um... It was the question of will there ever be another dark cheater? And I guess that made me think, like, do the Mets have someone of that esteem currently on the roster? Currently. Because, again, like I said, mm. like Mike, Mike Piazza was probably the closest, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at, at this point. And he, even he didn't get that same level of worship. I mean, if if you want to get technical um, on the roster, David Wright is technically on the roster. Um <laughs> He's, you know, he's, uh, he's classy. Jeff. Probably, yeah, probably. I'm just saying that because he doesn't have hair either. <laughs> David Wright has hair. What? <laughs> yeah, maybe when he's wearing the Jacob Degrom hat, but <laughs> he he can wear that Noah Syndergaard hair hat and exactly. make it look good. Um, so I mean, in terms of like, I guess, um, you know, because like people people love David Wright. He's kind of that all American kind of, you know homegrown boy and you know he stayed with the Mets his whole career and he was you know in all at least for a long for a bunch of years he was one of you know on a a hall of fame track until he kind of you know the injuries killed him um is that what you think when you think of Dark Jeter like I don't think of this like all-American boy I mean obviously you have to put the skill factor yeah I I honestly think you can't disregard the whole like as much as I don't agree with it the whole mm-hmm. sex appeal aspect of the yeah. cheater you know the eternal bachelor until he retired mm-hmm. i i feel like i guess yeah david wright has kind of that that's a similar kind of i don't know background he was i mean he was single for a long time um until the you know finally got married a couple of years ago and now he's got a kid who we never see any pictures of <laughs> um who i you know i frankly don't know if she actually mm-hmm. exists but um you know, there. He he kind of had that that appeal, um, and and sort of like Jeter. I mean, Jeter for all the stuff in the tabloids, he was kind of I would say more private than like yeah. you know than like Matt Harvey or someone like oh, that of, who's of who you of know course. who's been in the majors for like what four years and probably has like double the amount of tabloid features that <laughs> Derek Jeter had for his whole career. You know exactly, yeah. So, you know, I mean, David Wright is kind of like that. He had the, you know, 
the the looks he had the you know the the talent he had the you know the sex appeal or whatever if you want to say that um but um you know i guess he he for as few headlines as Jeter had over his career, David Wright probably had less. I mean, I yeah. feel like you really never saw anything about David he's Wright. Like the good boy of New York. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and then he's also, you know, he finally got that the the C on his jersey, not not on his jersey, but he was, you know, named the captain. So, you know, they, you know, they kind of have the captain thing in common <laughs> in a way. You know. Yeah. You know, uh, Derek Jeter's more like captain of like October or whatever. You know, yeah. But uh, or, or Mr. November or whatever. You know, Michael whatever, K. called whatever him. Month, yeah, whatever. Right. Thing. right yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, if uh, it's, it's a roundabout way of saying I think if there's a if there is a Derek Jeter uh, on the Mets, it's probably David Wright, whose playing career is about as done as Derek Jeter's? Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess, the, yeah, I guess, like, the summary is that, arguably, it's David Wright, but I think the Yankees kind of built a brand around Derek Jeter, and the Mets haven't done that with a single player, really. Mm-hmm. You know, they've kind of, they've done it around personas, but mm-hmm. they, they've yet to really pick out one guy and kind of make him stand out, so I feel like if you're going to try to compare the Mets and the Yankees with that element, you know, the Yankees are always going to win. For sure. And it, it helps to have the rings, of course. So <laughs> exactly. Jeter's, Jeter's got that. I'm, I'm like, you can't see it here, but I'm like, I'm flashing my fingers, like, <laughs> you know, moving them around, you know, denoting that these are rings. So <laughs> rings spelled with a Z, of course, at the end. Of course. Because that's, that's what Yankee fans do. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Caitlin, do you have anything else? No, thankfully, Jeter Week is over. Yes. At at least for now. Yes. I'm looking forward to uh, A-Rod Week, whenever that is. (laughs) Whenever. Yeah, I I would would be, I have no interest in Jeter Week, but I would be all for A-Rod Week. (laughs) I I am, as, I am an unabashed A-Rod fan. Well, I guess that's a topic for another time. Definitely, definitely is, yeah. Um that I could I could go on forever about Alex Rodriguez, <laughs> but I won't because this is a Mets podcast, and uh, you know A Rod never played for the Mets, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, we'll leave that there. We'll maybe come back to that at another point. Probably not. Um, so Caitlin, thanks for uh, joining me. Thank you. So we'll uh, see you next time on Amazing Avenue Audio. I'm Steve. This is Caitlin. And thanks for listening. Bye. My God, this team is atrocious. They're so bad right now. It's bordering on embarrassing. They've played just I mean, terrible, terrible baseball the last week. They've lost six straight, which means they won, I guess, the day I recorded last week and have not since then. And they have been embarrassing mortifying losses and it's just oh my god it's embarrassing the the offense has been fine the offense has been good it's been better than expected considering the fact that Cespedes has been out he's supposed to be back next week I think Tuesday they said we'll see we'll find out if that actually happens 
But the pitching has been atrocious. The starters can't get out of this, or into half the time, the sixth inning. The bullpen has been imploding at an alarming rate. Almost impressive. Familia's out for several months with a blood clot. So, they signed Neil Ramirez, who I guess misses bats, but also wasn't good enough to be in the Giants bullpen, which says a lot about a relief pitcher if you're not good enough for the Giants bullpen. And they're nine out of the East. I think we can write off the National League East at this point. The Nats are going to win it. The Nats were always going to win it. And the ridiculous thing is the wild card is still in play because the National League is not great. They are currently five games out. They're behind the Brewers, who I, I just don't see that working out for them. Uh, the Diamondbacks, who, I mean, they've looked okay the last two games because the Mets are really bad, but who knows about that. The Dodgers are ahead of them. The Cubs are obviously ahead of them. The Reds, which, you know, who the heck knows about that. I still think that they're going to have a shot at the wild card, which is absolutely ridiculous because they have done nothing to prove that they deserve it. And so, yeah, it's kind of because you should be panicking, but there's a very good chance that this is all going to work out. And by work out, I mean, get to the wild card. I don't know if they can win it. If Syndergaard's back, whatever, you know, whatever, I'm not going to try to figure out the wild card on May 17th. But there's a very good chance that come the end of September, they're still going to be in this race, and they're going to have to change a lot of things. You know, Stephen Matz and Seth Lugo both started rehab this week. I think they're going to pit their both pitching games Thursday, something like that. And Cespedes will be back eventually. Lucas Duda's looked really bad, but I don't think that's what Lucas Duda looks like normally. Conforto's still hitting like Conforto. But it's the pitching. And the Diamondbacks announcers last night described the bullpen as a dumpster fire. Which is the completely accurate description of them. And Sandy Alderson keeps insisting they're not bringing Amon Rosario up. You know, he's not a short-term fill-in for his Drupal Cabrera. Fine, whatever. I think we're all just going to have to live with that until probably Super 2. But... The, something, something's got to give with this pitching because Tommy Malone is like your number two starter at this point and that's not going to fly. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Even in these dark times, we have the podcast. We have each other. We'll get through this. So until then, until the next time we talk, please go to AmazingAvenue.com. Check out all of our news, our game reports, our analysis. I'm a big fan of our uh, Mets Monday Mind Boggler, which is a really fun little sporkle quiz that happens every Monday. And I want to try and bring some aspect of that onto this show. I don't really know how yet, but we will figure it out. So uh, look out for that in the future. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Amazing Avenue. You can download our show from Apple Podcasts, from Stitcher, from blogtalkradio.com, wherever you get it from. If given the option to rate, review, and subscribe, please do so. That helps our show quite a bit. We really do appreciate it. And as always, you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter, 
I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve Schreiber is at S. Schreiber 13. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. Aaron York is at Aaron P. York. Brian Wright is at Brian Wright 86. And Caitlin McCabe is at KAM3194. Oh, and Kate Feldman. I almost forgot. How did I forget Kate Feldman? She closes out the show every week. Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. So, um, we will see you guys back here in a week. Hopefully the Mets have won some games by then. Please, Mets, win some games by then. But until next time, let's go Mets. Mets.